This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Clarkson, Stronger. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, Joe Ball from Switchboard joins us to talk about the Australian government's decision not to include any questions about sexuality or any new questions about gender in the 2021 census. And later, policy specialist Joel Murray joins us from Sydney to talk about the New South Wales Parliament's inquiry into gay and transgender hate crimes. You're listening to 3CR Radio. And we are joined in the studio by Joe Ball from Switchboard, welcome. Welcome, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, great to have you on board as always. I wish it was under better circumstances. Very disappointing but anticipated news about the federal government's decision about the census. Oh, look, you always want to be shocked about these things. You always want the right thing to happen. And I actually thought with this case that it really was an absolute no-brainer. So I really fluctuated between, like, I know that the minister in charge, Michael Suka, you know, he had a personal agenda. I really feel that he was pushing around this issue. But I thought common sense would win out. Yes. What can you tell us about that personal agenda? Look, I, I think that it was, you know, when you look at it, um, 140 organisations across the health services came out in support of um, LGBTI inclusion in the 2021 census. I mean, a, a, and a very successful campaign was run by the LGBTI Health Alliance, which we as Switchboard Victoria are members of, and they ran an excellent campaign and, and really had a huge alliance of people behind the campaign to the to the fact that uh, the National Health Minister, Greg Hunt, actually came out and made a statement, I think it was late last week, saying include LGBTI in the national census. So there was this real momentum and it just seemed like, okay, it's going to happen. And, and regardless of all this support, a, you know, so you would say a consensus on the census, you know, was, was taking place. Um, you know, Suka obviously just pushed this personal agenda about not wanting to count LGBTI people. Like that's all we can look at when we when we take common sense and a, a national consensus about inclusion, and then you have one person who's making this this other decision. He did attend a rally uh, in support of the no vote for marriage equality, didn't he? He he made his views pretty clear on marriage equality. Yeah, look, he's not a neutral candidate <laughs> um, when it comes to our community. So in that way, like you would say, okay, he's the minister in charge. Uh, no surprises there. But then you think, well, this is not actually, shouldn't be a highly politicised issue. It should be you know, cut and dry, LGBTI people, non-binary, transgender, rainbow families, same-sex couples, intersex people, we all exist. Um, we're talking about data here and about correct data recording. So actually the inclusion of us in the 2021 census should have been about correct data recording and getting it right and still in, instead it turned into this political campaign. Has Michael Sukar released a statement justifying his decision? I don't think so. I don't believe so. It could still come, but I, I, you know, I'd be interested to know, like, you know, how how people, uh, you know, I think it's a he's a bit wedged on this issue because he does have his own health minister who's come out in support of the inclusion. Um, in Victoria, we had Daniel Andrews and Martin Foley come out in support of it. So I wonder if he's just going to go silent in the face of this just overwhelming support for something that he actually ultimately can. Well, when the uh, health minister speaks out in support of the community and you go against that decision, there's clearly a division at a high level of government, isn't there? Yeah, sure. And I think well, and that's what it comes down to, a personal agenda rather than like, let's look at the facts, let's look at what we need. You know, the census is all about planning. That's what it is. 
you know, it's not something that should be heavily politicised. And when you look at the uh, Australian Bureau of Statistics, you know, it's an independent statutory body of government, which it's not a department of government. It's actually an independent statutory body. So, I mean, I put the question out there about a level of interference that's gone on here between government, you know, between a statutory body and a minister. I think that's a question. Um, However, that would just be one question amongst many, I guess, about interference that's going on at the moment. And that's been an alarming theme for this government, hasn't it, after sports rorts? Yeah, like I, I, I do think. I mean, I, it, it seems like there's there's a level of, you know, us in the community. It's up to us to sort of name these things when we see them. And I think you know, if people want to find out sort of some hard hitting words that were said about um, the census, you can go to the LGBTI Health Alliance and you can see their media release where they say, you know, this is outrageous. And I too think, you know, at Switchboard, we equally think this is an outrageous statement. And that's our role as community organisations is to name it when it is outrageous. Absolutely. What are some of the questions that should have been included in the census? Yeah, look, there needed to be a review of how we record um, gender. So male, female, um, you know, what there is at the moment is male, female and other, and they needed to do a review of that and to be able to actually ask a question about transgender and non-binary and actually divide up the intersex question. There needed to be a better understanding of how, I mean, if people remember the census form, it's quite a clunky thing that it's um, householder. It was originally called head of householder, which was supposed to be the man that fills out the form and then his family. But there's still a legacy of that. And it's very difficult for same-sex couples or people who live in share houses to really assert what their sexuality and gender is because it's really asserted in relationship to the head of the house. So what Very we patriarchal. Want- yeah, so what we really wanted was a question that actually asked all Australians what their sexuality was. And I think that, you know, the ABS has shown, although we didn't like it when it did this last time, that it is actually okay to ask people questions that are about sexuality and gender because we just saw this with the postal survey, right? That they put out to every single Australian asking people what they thought about same-sex couples getting married. So we know that... You know that in, if the political agenda is right, they're not afraid to ask the certain, you know, difficult questions. But in this case, they just wouldn't ask ask the common sense question around. So their justification that those questions were too sensitive is bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I, I just, you know, there's no evidence. There's absolutely no evidence to say that if you ask people about their sexuality and gender, that it somehow has a detrimental effect on a survey. The ABS does not maintain that position and no other health surveys that the ABS run that does include those questions, you know, points to the fact there's any concern whatsoever with asking that question. It was just, I mean, I really believe when it came to Michael Suka that it was actually about him saying, we don't want to ask those questions because we don't want to count those people. There was a consultation. It ran until the 10th of January. It's a very quick turnaround, you know, after that deadline to make this decision. Was that consultation a bit of a sham? Look, I know that the Health Alliance put in a huge, you know, like a submission. I think they put in two submissions in the end. Um, but, you know, there was a consultation and then there was a second consultation. And um, Equality Australia put in a su- submission. And, you know, I, I think that you have to wonder, like, when there was such an overwhelming support in the consultation process for the inclusion with the 140, you know, including health organisations saying they wanted it, you have to wonder, you know, like if it was a bit of a sham. And I can't particularly comment on that because I don't know their internal, you know, measures for looking into that. Is there anything the community can do about this or is it all done and dusted? Um. Look, I mean, I think it never hurts to contact the ABS directly um, because I think that there's a still an on, you know, and, and tell them a bit about your concerns and, and even like, 
tweeting to them and, and you know they do look at that like every time I tweet them I know that, that it's that it is picked up on that they do look at it's in their media monitoring so I think if people are you know concerned about this issue they should take to social media and sort of at ABS stats and uh, do the hashtag um, counter scene in, in 2021 I think there's a point of giving feedback still because of course there's uh, after 2021 there'll be 2026 um, that seems unbearable to think about waiting that long but you know that might be the case there'll be a, a new campaign but I think even just raising your feedback and concerns now can have an impact on the other surveys that the ABS does. Absolutely. So how would have the inclusion of those questions helped an organisation like Switchboard? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it helps a huge amount of health organisations. But the thing with the census is it's baseline testing. So What it, does that mean? Yeah, oh, it's a statistical sort of explanation there. But um, but it's it's when you run other surveys, you need a baseline in order to work out whether your your survey is actually representative of the population um, that you're seeking to count. Mm-hmm. So when you have a census, it actually sets up this baseline testing because it's not only um, – it's everybody who is in – it seeks to count everyone who is in Australia on census night. It's an incredible kind of undertaking. And um, and from that, you actually get a sample of what the Australian society looks like. And when I say Australian society, it's not about Australian citizenship. It's like what it looks like, what Australia looks like at this moment, which includes tourists, um, international students, asylum seekers, wherever you are, whoever you are in Australia, that's what it seeks to count. And that causes a baseline. So it would give a baseline of how many LGBTI people are actually in Australia. So then when you run other surveys... If we didn't, we would know whether they actually represent our community. That's how serious it is. It's the thing that gets me really motivated about the census is, is that baseline. Um, so there's that. And there's also just wouldn't we love to know how many of, of us there are um, in Australia, even if we knew it was an undercount, which it would be an undercount, right? Because some people, there'd be people who are young kids or whatever and their parents fill out the form and, you know, they don't get added. There would still be an undercount, but, uh, an undercount, but it would be uh, statistically important because not only would we know how many of us there are or, you know, at an undercount level, we would also know how many of us have disabilities, um, how many of us are living in share accommodation, how many of us own our own home, um, how many of us do unpaid labour and what kind of unpaid labour we do. These are all the questions that the census asks and that would be an amazing thing. Uh, how many of us are carers? How many of us have children? How many of us are married? You know, like, a, and how many of us are married and living together? And all these interesting, it would create a real interesting piece of who we are as a community. So not actually asking those questions. It's a form of repression. It's a form of erasure. It's a form of kind of, you know, keeping us downtrodden almost. I think it's like a great example I give of this is, you know, when Trump came into power in America, one of the early things he did around data recording is he sought to get transgender um, and sexuality questions removed from the census. So that tells you something, right? And then like whenever like right-wing um, governments get in, there's often a gender about moving, removing those questions because once you're in the data, we, we are then counted and then it's like, you know, for us at Switchboard, we then have a, a, you know, something we can use to advocate for more money to come to our community for whether it's mental health services, whether it's safe schools. Like it gives us a way to be able to say, wow, we're a huge part of this community. And I just believe, given what happened, that 
there is a real disregard from Michael Suka about wanting that kind of like the, that level of data about our community. And I find that really worrying and concerning. The other worrying and concerning federal issue, of course, for the LGBTIQ community is the religious discrimination legislation and the whole debate around that. What are your clients at Switchboard telling you about the mental health effects the debate's having on them? Yeah, so we run a number of programs at Switchboard, um, inclu- including being part of um, Q Life and um, having an older person's uh, visiting program, suicide prevention and a family violence service. And in all those programs, you know, and, and even amongst our own staff who all, all identify as part of the LGBTI community, is that there is a level of anxiety about what's going to happen. Um, I think there's, there's, there's anxiety and there's exhaustion <laughs> and they, but they can, they can um, exist, they can coexist and they do coexist in, amongst many of us. I think people feel an inevitability towards the bills happening um, and an exhaustion that this is another thing we have to fight for, but we absolutely do have to fight for. I actually was, I was, I was re-motivated. I'm, I'm easily motivated to fight for justice, but last night I was very motivated by during a welcome to country last night at the, um, Melbourne Queer Film Festival, um, Auntie Annette, uh, Wurundjeri Elder chose her welcome to country as actually an opportunity to talk about how we have to fight against the religious discrimination bills. And I just found, you know, I was like, oh yeah, you know, like we've all got something at stake here across the community. This isn't just a, a niche issue in the LGBTI communities. It, it's actually it's going to affect all of us. Um, you know, black, white people with disabilities. You know, it's going to affect all of us, and you know, we really do need to stand up against it. Speaking of standing up, you took a very strong stance with your banner for Switchboard at the Pride March. Tell us about that in support of intersex rights. Yeah, so Switchboard has signed the Darlington Statement, which is the um, Intersex Human Rights Australia uh, sort of, I guess, gold standard statement that's, that says that, you know, we, we, are al- we are allies and we are people who want to work towards allyship and, you know, we, are, we will stand with the intersex community. And when we signed that as a board, we took that, um, that pledge very seriously. And when we, you know, when I was talking to Tony Briffer about who's, you know, one of the members of Intersex Human Rights Australia about how Tony personally felt about the inclusion of Royal Children's Hospital at Midsummer, you know, it really came home to me that we need to do more to understand what are the issues affecting him, um, intersex people and, and, and take a stand for them. Because the um, hospital often does surgeries on infants in relation to their genitalia, yeah? That's right. The Royal Children's Hospital is one of the primary places in Victoria which does, you know, there's no easy way to say this, but genital mutilation on, um, on intersex children and babies. And, you know, like the, Tony and other advocates in Intersex Human Rights Australia have been standing up about this issue and trying to get some, you know, like getting the Victorian government to take a position on this. And I thought, you know, and I know, and Thorn Harbour's taken the same position as we were like, well, what we pledge to do is for, a long, for as long as Royal Children's Hospital is doing um, these human rights abuses on intersex children and babies, we will hold a banner in the Midsummer Parade because I think it is so hurtful that, um, that there is a contingent of Royal Children's Hospital. And I know that Royal Children's Hospital does a gender centre and we support the gender centre, but there's a part of the Royal Children's Hospital that is doing terrible things to intersex children. And we need to be able to make those nuanced positions, is to be able to say, tick to that service you're doing, but a huge no to that other service. And I think we can make that position and that's the position we do at Switchboard. We support the gender clinic and the services there, but we do not in any way support the work that's happening um, with uh, to intersex children um, and genital mutilation. And I think that 
that you you wouldn't allow somebody who was doing conversion therapy to um, lesbians and gays, you wouldn't allow them to march in midsummer. And I think that's how passionate the issue is. Like you would not allow that. You would say, oh, no, you can't be part of midsummer. And I think that's the kind of position, that's how we see it. And until they change their practices, they shouldn't march. Speaking of conversion practices and therapy, did Switchboard make a submission to the Andrews government's inquiry into conversion practices? And if so, what did you say? Yes, I, I mean, I was consulted over it as the CEO of Switchboard and I, I did give a, a written, um, I, I gave a verbal, I was interviewed as part of the inquiry. And we take a very similar position and we really, you know, back up the work of, the, of BRAVE, which is the Survivors Support Network. And again, a lot, not unlike IRA, actually, we really look to BRAVE. We look to the people who are the um, people ex- who have experienced the discrimination and leading the campaign against conversion therapy and the positions they take are the positions we take. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it was quite clear for us at Switchboard that, of course, we want to see a ban on conversion therapy and that it is still happening in Victoria. You know, the Australian Christian Lobby has made a, a numerous um, sort of submissions and Pauline Hanson sort of made comments in Parliament saying that it doesn't really exist anymore. But we know from people... People that we hear on the phones, that it is still happening. We do hear still hear stories about conversion therapy. We also see and hear the effects of conversion therapy on the older people that we support. So for us, this is a, this is a very important position. And we absolutely support that the Andrews government is, is looking to ban it. And, you know, uh, the day that they do, I, you know, I hope to be there to um, celebrate with survivors. Joe Ball, always great to see you at 3CR. Thanks for coming in this afternoon. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Been chatting with Joe Ball from Switchboard. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here are the waifs. Some are saved and some will fall 
show you where the danger lies. But he can't help it if you capsize. Cause he will light your way, but that is all. Steer your own ship back to shore. While the New South Wales government is holding a parliamentary inquiry into transgender and gay hate crimes in that state, on the line we have LGBTIQ policy specialist Joel Murray. Joel, welcome back to the program. It's always good to be here. Joel, tell us the backstory that led to this inquiry occurring. ACON's been, for a while, they had been working on some unsolved cases that were suspected to be um, hate crimes against gay and transgender people. 2008, uh, a document was produced called In the Pursuit of Truth and Justice, and it was full documentation of um, some of the history and some of the interactions uh, with police uh, and a number of uh, cases and recommendations. Now, the New South Wales government took that on board and had a parliamentary inquiry um, before the New South Wales state election, and they've produced an interim report which more or less confirmed um, the cases and that potentially that there were far more cases that we didn't know about, um, mostly because for a lot of the transgender crimes that the fact that they were transgender wasn't recorded. So the inquiry had to be put on hold because of the New South Wales election. And now that the new parliament is sitting, they've reopened the inquiry and they're really looking to hear from community members who either experienced hate crimes themselves or who um, were witness to uh, hate crimes. It's interesting, isn't it? The inquiry is going all the way back to the 1970s. That would suggest that there's quite a few unsolved cases that need to be resolved. Yeah, and um, particularly because this was after homosexuality was decriminalised in New South Wales. However, attitudes within the New South Wales police force didn't change automatically because the law changed. And so not only were these crimes committed um, against members of our community, but also, and this is documented in the, um, the interim report from the parliament, was that police were complicit in either not investigating those crimes or in some instances perpetuating stigma, discrimination or violence against our community themselves. Has there been much division within the New South Wales police over this inquiry occurring? Have there been any attempts to block it or stymie it? The sense that I get is no, that the police force have come out and more or less taken ownership 
that they've let the community down and that work needs to be done in order to build those bridges. So, yeah, I think the the police have been fairly heavily involved in certainly the first iteration of the inquiry, which was really hearing from organisations. And so now that that's been acknowledged, we really need people from the community to be telling their stories. And I understand, you know, for many of us, recounting traumatic experiences can be um, can be really uh, can open us up to vulnerability, can open up those those past traumas. Acon are running a number of info sessions where you can drop in in Sydney, Parramatta, Newcastle, Wollongong, Wagga Wagga, Lismore. But also that if community members are making a submission and they feel triggered, I've been told that. Um, that people can contact ACON to get some emotional or psychological support around that. So it sounds like ACON's taking some really strong steps to ensure that a safe space is created for people to come forward and then also after they come forward as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. Having worked um, on an inquiry uh, last year uh, that involved quite traumatic experiences, I think it's really important to acknowledge that you know that aftercare and that care for the people who are telling their stories is really important. And the other thing, I guess, the other thing to point out is that people don't have to have their submission made public. They can make a confidential submission. I mean, you have to still disclose your name and so forth to the parliament. However, they'll keep those submissions confidential and they won't disclose um, the person's details when they're writing up that report at the end of the inquiry process. What's the New South Wales Premier been saying about the inquiry and the circumstances that led to its creation? Look, I think the Premier's certainly acknowledged that it occurred and that some wrongdoing has, has happened and that um, I guess the point of this inquiry is to really look into those cases, look at the systematic um, discrimination that occurred um, but also start to build some healing. Uh, the Waverley Council, which is where um, Bondi Beach is, they're uh, building a monument that's meant to be a memorial for all the all the victims. And so um, that's been um, running along for a little while now. And I've been told that uh, the monument will be probably be built next year. And so, I mean, having physical representation of a place where we can uh, memorialise those we've lost, but also those of us who are still living, we can go to this monument and we can start that really important healing process. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, some of these crimes go back to the 1970s where there wasn't any community discourse beyond the LGBTIQ community around, you know, queer hate crimes. In fact, um, the term hate crime probably didn't even exist then. I'm sure it wouldn't have, and it, yes, and in fact, I think the the definition of a hate crime is only a fairly recent a recent um, thing that's happened in legislation. However, it's interesting hearing some of the history of the kind of anti-violence projects, and at one stage, members of our community were encouraged to wear whistles and to use those whistles when either themselves or they were um, witnessing violence. So really, I think what's beautiful uh, in all this tragedy is that community have always been looking out for each other. We're resilient and that we can get through these things. I think it's really important that we we have our stories told and recognised and acknowledged um, in order for us to move forward. How far is the inquiry going into looking at hate crimes that may have occurred in in rural and, and regional areas, particularly those isolated areas of New South Wales? Yeah, so that's really important to note is that it's not just about things that happened in Sydney. Uh, it, it could happen anywhere across New South Wales, and that includes regional areas. 
as you might be aware, ACON um, have a few regional offices, and so um, I've got a flyer in front of me, and it looks like they've got some info sessions in Newcastle and Wollongong, Wagga Wagga, Lismore. Um, so I, I guess if people are interested in getting more information, they could probably head either to the Parliament New South Wales website or to the ACON website. What are the possibilities once this inquiry ends? From my perspective, there could be training programs for the police on LGBTQ inclusiveness. We could be publicly recognising that these wrongs happened. We could certainly be reopening some of these cases and really delving into what evidence might there be and hopefully having some of these cases solved would be really wonderful thing for the friends and family of of those victims. John Murray, thanks for the chat today. Always great to talk to you on 3CR. No worries. See ya. Cheers.
In your face, we'd like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their financial support of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex, and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.